wasn't complete. That I, I, the more I contemplated what was in that text, um, and particularly two verses, I was like, I just have not unfolded that um, because I hadn't really figured out that 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 message that that was said last week that, that the verses that were spoken by Christ to Ananias about Paul were spoken not just to Paul. They were spoken to Doug Wilhelm, to Nick Bernstein, to Teresa Spencer, to Jeff McKinnis, to all of you in the room. It was the same words spoken by Ananias to Saul were spoken to me, and they were spoken to you. And so I wrestled with that a lot <laughs> this week. And so let's let's begin. We're going to read um, just two verses. Um, this will be a little bit different than our, our normal uh, time in the Word as we tend to unfold a whole section of Scripture, but I'm going to camp on these two verses a bit because I camped out on them for six days this week, so I think we should um, dive into that and look at that more deeply. So, uh, chapter 9, beginning in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is the word of God. And I say thanks be to God for that. As I looked at the text this week and studied and prayed and, and tried to move on from this, I really did try to move on. Uh, and Carol sent me a message and said, what is the text for this week? And I sent her one, and then about a half hour later, no, that's not it. I still haven't fully dealt with this in my own heart and in my own mind. And, um, so I need to deal with this. And I think we need to deal with it as a church. Uh, I think we need to deal with it individually in our lives as well. So I wrestled with a question. What do you treasure above all else in the world? What do we treasure above all else in the world? Is it family? Is it position? Is it status? Is it wealth? Is it health? Is it being comfortable? Is it our personal preferences? Is it our leisure time? Or is it autonomy? In one sense, we want to be in control of everything. I want what I want. I want my rule of life to determine how these things go. When they don't go my way, either my preferences are not being met, and so I'm not going to do that. I will not sacrifice my preference. Or I'm uncomfortable with that, so I won't sacrifice my comfortability. As I was thinking about this, autonomy was the big one that really struck in my mind. And I want to read you a quote from R.C. Sproul that really communicates what it is that goes on in our hearts and minds and where this idea of autonomy came from. And autonomy meaning that we, as humans, determine our fate of life. We determine what is good and right. We determine what it is that we are willing to sacrifice for, what we are willing to live for, what we are willing to die for. And it really boils down to humanism. Humanism was not invented by man. 
but by a snake who suggested that the quest for autonomy might be a good idea. Right? Wasn't it the snake that said, you don't need God to rule over you, eat of the tree. If you eat of the tree, then you'll know good and evil, and then you can control everything in and of yourself. In your humanity, then you need to determine what is right and good. Not God. That, sometimes, I think, is our big uh, block to what it is that Christ would do for us. Let's uh, flip to Luke, uh, chapter 14. Because I want us to see that there's a cost to being a follower of Jesus Christ. There, there's, a, there's a cost to that. It will cost you something. It will cost you family. It may cost you position and status. It may cost you some of your wealth. It may cost you health. It definitely will make you uncomfortable. I don't know how many times the Lord has made me uncomfortable. Uh, just His word alone sometimes makes me uncomfortable. Because then I have to be affected and changed by it. Um, definitely my leisure and my free time will be affected if I choose to follow Christ. Definitely, I am not in control of my own destiny if I follow Christ. If my destiny has been determined, and it has been, if you are in Christ, your destiny has been determined not by you, but by what Christ did for you. Right? By Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Well, in Luke chapter 14, beginning in uh, verse uh, 25, we see what Jesus says about this cost of discipleship. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone that comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Those are strong words from Jesus, aren't they? They are strong words. But I think that in that, in those strong words, it's about a matter of priority. It's about a matter of what is put first. It's not saying that you need to hate your wife necessarily, right? The words said hate. The idea is, is that Christ needs preeminence in that relationship. That Christ should have preeminence in all things. And that though it may cost you that relationship that you cherish so much, the excellency of knowing Christ and being in relationship with Him supersedes all of that. That's the idea, right? Count the cost. It may cost you everything. It will cost you something. But it very well may cost you everything. And we think about um, this life in Christianity 
and where we are going in America and the opposition to our faith, the opposition to the things that we proclaim. Everywhere you look, there's a, there's a world out there that says, I get to self-identify. Think about Target and what they're doing, right? It's not who you are that God made you. It's who you say you are that determines where you, what restroom you use. It's about autonomy, isn't it? It's about humanism. In my own self, I get to decide what it is that I am. I get to decide where I go to the restroom. Because I can identify myself. It's all in me. Well, Christ here is saying, if you do not, then renounce all of that. If you don't renounce all that you have possessed, all that I have given you, you cannot be my disciple if I am not put first above all those things. Those things are all great. I'm not saying to abandon any of those things. I'm really not. I'm saying that those things are also a blessing that God gives us. He gives us those things. He wants us to have those things. He wants us to flourish. God is all about our human flourishing, right? He wants us to flourish in our family relationships. He wants us to flourish in everything that we do. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to have enough to meet our needs. He wants us to have health. But it should not be the number one priority. It should not be anything that gets in the way of our relationship with Christ. You may remember that as we have been looking through the book of Acts, that I said several times through this that there is a pattern in the book. And this pattern comes up time and time again. That Christian leaders will emerge and they will preach the gospel. Listeners are converted and added to the church. Opponents begin to persecute the church. God intervenes. And then the witness expands. See, there must be opposition in order for the gospel to expand. There must be. Well, when we look back at Acts 9.15, he says, Go, for he is an instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. This statement that Ananias, that Christ says to Ananias about Saul, he says this about you. He says this about me. That you and I are a chosen instrument of God to carry his name everywhere we go. We are to carry his name to Gentiles, to kings, to children, to the people around us, the people in our sphere of influence as we have talked about time and time again. Well, you see here that, that Saul was breathing murderous threats as we talked about um, last week. He was the persecutor. Did God intervene? God intervened against the persecutor and knocked him on the ground. Being knocked on the ground, Saul was converted. And guess what happened? The witness expanded. The witness of Christ and his goodness expanded. When I was thinking about being knocked to the ground, as Saul was knocked to the ground, I said, you know what? That's my story. Several people shared with me that this week. That's my story. Teresa shared with us last week. That's her story. That we were all in ourselves and Christ knocked us to the ground. As he knocked us to the ground, though, we saw him. We saw him for who he is. We saw him for the sacrifice that he made for us. 
Now, verse 16, it, it can be a troublesome thing to think about. But this, it, there's, there's a promise in this. And the promise is through the scriptures. And it's, it's, it's sort of a promise that, that maybe we don't always want to hang up on our refrigerator. It's, it's the promise that we don't walk around talking about. It's the one that makes us uncomfortable. It's the one that goes against our personal preferences from time to time. And it's this. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That applied to Saul. That applies to me. That applies to you. Although you are a chosen instrument, I'm going to give you an unwelcomed, uncomfortable promise. That you will suffer for the sake of my name. That is an unwelcome promise. It's not one that I look forward to hearing from the Lord, right? It's one of the things that makes me uncomfortable. Well, as I think about this, I think, of course, of John uh, 16. In John 16, let's read uh, 31 through 33. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Again, see, Christ made that promise too, didn't he? That in the world you're going to have some trouble. And where does trouble come to for a Christian? I believe wholeheartedly that every time I have something coming against me, some trouble, that it has invaded my family. That I have to choose in this trouble between my family or Christ. It becomes a trouble to me. I have to choose whether or not my position or my status in the world means more to me than Christ. That's where trouble comes. I am troubled when my wealth is taken from me. I am troubled. Do I put my heart and my my all of who I am in my things and my belongings, or is it Christ? When I'm suffering in health, I'm ill. Do I think that Christ has abandoned me and that trouble has come my way? And that do I long for my health more than I long for Christ? Because there, there may be some, and I know some who have suffered really deep health issues, but their health is not the focus of their life. Their focus is Christ. Because He is greater than good health. He is greater than plenty of wealth. He is greater than our families. He is greater than any position we might have. He is greater than any sense of our own autonomy that we might hold on to. That we might cling to control. Right? He is greater than all of those things. Then he follows in John 16 with this. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I always pause on that text when Jesus says, I have overcome the world. 
How does Christ's overcoming comfort me in times of trouble? How does Christ being an overcomer, how can that comfort me in times of trouble? Christ overcame. I'm just a human. I've got all these things coming against me. And more often than not, I choose me and not him. So if I choose me and not him, then I am, in that instance, not really overcoming anything, am I? So how can Christ overcoming comfort me? I think that I go back to thinking about this and thinking about maybe what Saul did and what he was about from this point forward in his life as a chosen instrument of God. And you and I as a chosen instrument of God, I asked the question last week, what was I saved from? And the question, too, comes with that, is what was I saved to? And then, further, this is the deep question, is, is my salvation my greatest treasure? Is what I treasure most in life my salvation that came from Christ and what he did on the cross? Is that my greatest treasure? I think of uh, Romans chapter 1. I want to read just a little bit of this because we have to understand our position. Because Saul understood his position in God, didn't he, when he got knocked to the ground? He was very aware of who he was in comparison with who Christ is. He became very aware of this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because he has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. So that they, who's they? Me. And without an excuse before God. That was the indictment. I was indicted. I was indicted in the court of God. Doomed to death. Doomed to death. A sinner, separated from God. Could not, could not come into his presence. Could not please him. Saul, in all of his effort to please God, in following and adhering to the law, could not. He could not please God. Because he himself wanted autonomy, didn't he? Gamaliel said to him, you know, and taught all of his disciples, Hey, if this thing that these people of the way, if, if they are not of the Lord, this is going to come to nothing. But, if it is, you'll find yourself fighting against God. Right? You don't want to do that, right? You don't want to fight against God. But, being his star people, Saul, Gamaliel's star people, said, no, I know better than that. And he came hard after Christians, breathing murderous threats against them, right? Because he thought autonomy was more important than God. His own self was more important than God. But here's the thing. We don't have bad news. I don't want you to think at all that this is bad news. Because there's good news in all of this message. If we look at Romans chapter 6, or chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, you see, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were at our most unlovely, God loved us. I was talking with a brother this week about the love of God. What an amazing truth it is that when I was first saved, with all the love that God had for me, he poured it out to me all at once. And that no matter what I do, I can't get him to love me more. He doesn't love me any more today than he loved me when he first loved me. And I can't make him love me less. Because all of his love was transferred to me. Because all of my sin was transferred to him. All of my sin was transferred to Christ. And therefore, all of God's love was transferred to me. I love that truth. I love that truth. That while I was weak, the word there really means helpless. While I was helpless, there was nothing in me that could have chosen God. I was hopeless. I was helpless. Well, think about this too. That Christ himself knows our friend. He knows who we are. He subjects himself to our same weaknesses. He himself had his position and status were not important. The will of God came first. His health was not important. The will of God came first. Remember his temptation in the devil. Right? What did he do? He went after the same things, didn't he? He went after the same things that we hold really dear. And said, I can give you this. I can give you kingdom. Right? And Christ was no, the will of my Father. That's what I came to do. The will of God. Well, in Isaiah, we look at chapter 53. He says, verse 7, He was opposed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is uh, before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Isn't that the difference, right? is that Christ received everything that we deserved, and yet he had no deceit in him. He had no hatred, no violence in him whatsoever. He was a man of peace, after the will of God. And God subjected him to that. It was the will of God to subject him to that. Because it was the will of God to love you. It was the will of God to love me. It was the will of God to transform us. Now if you would, flip with me to Colossians chapter 1. Because as you can see, if our Savior can go to the depths of who we are, if, if our Savior can understand um, our frailties and our sin, and all of that can be heaped upon Him for our love, uh, the love that God has toward us, and for our human flourishing, does it not tell us this, that Christ in all things should have preeminence? 
And preeminence means what? First place. That in all things, Christ should have first place. Let's look at Colossians 1.15. Because we need to see who Christ is. We need to see what Christ has done for us. In order to make him the priority of our life. In order to make him the priority over all of those things that we talked about. That in our humanity we want to hang on to him. I know many of you, and I've heard many of your stories uh, of your salvation experience and what you were like before Christ, what you desired before Christ, what you put first before you were in Christ. And I know my own story of what I put in first place before Christ, and everything that is on that list that I listed out earlier, every single one of them, I had in first place at one time or another. At one time or another, I had every single one of those in the first place. And then we were talking this morning about, about what's, um, what Paul wrote to Timothy, about being amongst uh, sinners. I am the chief. Saul would say that, and, and Doug said very aptly what I was thinking. <laughs> he said, the only problem I have with that verse is that as I examine my own life, I would disagree with Saul. I would disagree with what he said. I would say that I am the chief amongst all sinners, not Saul. And I think that that was the point of what he was telling Timothy. As he was teaching Timothy, he was saying to him, take my position. Look at who you are without him. Look at the price that Christ paid for you on the cross. And the only determination you can come to is that amongst sinners, I am the chief. I need Christ's redemption. Verse 15 of Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And here's the indictment. And you, that means me, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, and that means me too, you and me, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You see, Paul had a clear view of the cross of Jesus Christ and what that meant always before him. And that Christ in all things became preeminent. That's the true sign, I believe, of salvation, isn't it? It's a true sign of salvation. That when we are saved, we realize that everything I put in front of God, everything I put in place of Him, pales in comparison to the greatness of knowing the excellency of Jesus Christ and what He did for me on the cross. Nothing, nothing can compare. 
There's not a thing that can compare, compare to that. Because my wretchedness was transferred to Him. The goodness and the love of God was transferred to me. That I sit right, right now, as I stand because I'm in Christ. You who are in Christ this morning, stand before a holy God, acceptable, pleasing, holy, and blameless. Should that truth not take first place? That truth should take first place in everything. And I say all of this to say that my greatest treasure, our greatest treasure, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That the life that we now live, we long to live to the glory of God. That further yet, I understand that Christ is my greatest need. That when my family, my position, my wealth, my health, my preferences my leisure time, my need for autonomy, when those things don't go the way I want them to, I still have hope. I have hope. Because Christ is before all of those things. Christ takes first place in all of those things. I say, it's our need for that. And our greatest need, the one that gets in the way the most, I think, if I, if I were to boldly say this, is our personal preferences, what we prefer things to be, and our autonomy, us being in charge. Our personal preferences and then us being in charge and being in control are the very things that get in the way of this truth, that there's nothing greater than the excellency of knowing Christ. And that all of the above, all of those things pale in comparison to the cross and our reconciliation unto God. And that we once walked in opposition to that. We have to remember that we once walked in opposition to that. As I, again, earlier, as I was talking with Doug about this, oftentimes I want to ask God to knock me off the horse. Knock me off the horse. I've taken the rain back. I'm holding it back in. I put me first. I put other things first. Good things even. But I put them first. I put good things first. And Christ would say to me, there's greater things. I have greater things in store for you. Don't hold your treasure to that. Treasure in me. Treasure in me. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble. Treasure in me. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You then are now being transformed into the very image of Christ. And therefore, guess what? Our lives are all about being overcomers. We are becoming overcomers because of His overcoming work on the cross, His atonement for us on the cross. He says then, I've transferred my love to you, brother. I've transferred my love to you, sister. I've given you a helper, the Holy Spirit, to walk with you, to train you, to guide you in all these things so that you would be transformed into the image of my Son, but it's in His image that we are already seen. It's in His image that God already sees us. Isn't that good news? That is good news that it is in the image of Christ that He sees me. In the wretchedness that I still have in me. In the parts that have not been transformed yet. God would look at me and say, You are my son. You are my daughter. 
in whom I am well pleased. I am well pleased because you are wrapped and robed in the righteousness of my Son. And no matter what sin or whatever position we find ourselves in or whatever thing that we have put preeminent before Christ, the thing is, is that God is not done with you. God is not done with me. He is still working all things out for good to those who love Christ. He was working all of those things out. That He is not willing to leave us there. He is not willing to leave us in that spot. And here's the thing. To not leave us in that spot, to be a disciple of Christ, to follow Him, may cost you. It may cost you a lot. It may cost you all the things you treasure most. It may cost you. But there's nothing more excellent than this at the end of the day. Though it costs me everything, I can still say this. I am a child of God. I can boldly come to the throne of His grace because of His Son. No matter what has happened to me, no matter where I'm at, no matter what I've lost, no matter how empty I am, no matter how empty I am, no matter where my feet take me and my heart and my sin takes me, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. When he says nothing, I love that, that God says nothing. Because it really means that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That, my friends, is good news. And we ought to then put Christ first. In all things. Everything we do, Christ is first. Now, we might be convicted in our hearts a bit this morning, because I know that I am. Because I'm counting in my own heart and my own mind the ways that I put other things first. Lots of things. And so this morning, as one of the roles I have taught time and time again, one of the roles of a pastor is to be the chief repenter, to be the first to repent. And I, this morning, before you repent of all the things that I've put in front of God, all the things I put in first place, my comfortability is the main one. My personal preferences. I like things the way I like them. Anybody who set up chairs here with me knows that. <laughs> I like things the way I like them. It's got to be my way, the highway kind of thing, right? <clears throat> but, but, but that's a small potato thing about the things that I put first, the, the preferences that I have. Uh, my wife can probably attest to more of that than anybody, but don't ask her because I don't want to be uncovered that much. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, I put a lot of things before my relationship with Christ. And you know what? When I do that, guess where the detriment that comes to in my life? It's a detriment to the family that I love. It's a detriment to my health. It's a detriment to position or status that God has given me. It's a detriment to my comfortability. It is to my detriment to put anything else preeminent before Christ. And so I repent before you guys, and I would ask that now as we close our time that we quiet our hearts and maybe just before God we deal with that, that we, we go before God and, and repent of those things that we've put first place. And then we ask for God's grace again, for His mercy and His kindness, and we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us and to point us to all that is righteous and all that is good. And what does the Holy Spirit do except testify to Jesus Christ, right? 
He testifies to the goodness of Jesus Christ and the fullness of what He did. So we need His help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to walk this life. So let's quiet our minds and our hearts and pray a little bit together. I praise you, God, for the work you're doing in each of us. I praise you for the work that you're doing in our hearts today, what you're doing in our families, what you're doing in our body. I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength and wisdom and insight to put you first, because you are first. And there's nothing greater that this life can offer. There is no... um, problem or persecution that can come against us that is greater than the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I long that as we go forward that we would preach nothing amongst each other except Jesus Christ and Him crucified for us. I give you praise, I give you thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.